1: Today on the Zabecast, the state of California has rattled the NCAA's cage with a name, image, and likeness legislation that could threaten the empire. Now they strike back. We'll put cold water on the rhetoric and then deliver the facts. Andy Pollan is in the Zabecast, is he? His thoughts on Joe Theismann's preemptive strike on Dwayne Haskins as a starter... And all that plus how Instagram is ruining the outdoors. Your digital dose of extra me is buckled up, so let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Wednesday, June 26, 2019. Thank you for downloading. Before we get into it, a quick reminder. On the 27th of July, if you happen to be in the great state of Wisconsin, which I will be, we will be hosting the Bloody Horns 8. That's right. My eighth annual installment of the hardest, but funnest day of golf in the entire state of Wisconsin. We'll be playing the fantastic bull at uh, Pinehurst Farms in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, a Jack Nicklaus layout that will blow your mind. And we're playing it from all the way back. Yes, indeed. The tippity tip, tip, top, tip, top. All the way back. One foot in the rough. Hardest day of golf. Now, the format for the championship flight is two man scramble. So it's a a little bit of a twist. Most scrambles are four man. This is a competitive scramble. So two man better ball, or not better ball, two man scramble or captain's choice. It's hard enough to break par even with two good players when you're playing the course from way back when we have got the pins all tucked. That said, this year we've added a new dimension in which if you've got a foursome and you know, you're not good and you know, you're not going to win the prize, which by the way is two nights and two rounds of golf at Zave Vegas in March. Then guess what? Sign up as a foursome and you can play and you can have fun and you can laugh at how hard it is and drink and just enjoy a great day of golf and you'll be able to see me out there, and you'll still compete. You'll compete against other foursomes in the foursome scramble portion for a separate prize, but still, I'd love to see you out there. So I've got a second flight this year. If you want to play as a foursome, you know you're not going to compete, you can do that as well. Go to bloodyhorns.com. That's bloodyhorns.com. It's all on the website. Link is right there to sign up. Get on it because we are going to sell out by the time I think July rolls around and I want everyone to have a chance at it. And you guys have never let me down yet. We've sold this thing out every year. I only keep it to about 100 or so players because I I don't want it to be a complete traffic jam. And I know, I'm going to work on the pace of play this year. We've had some issues uh, in years past, but we're going to really clamp down on it. As I like to say, we're here for a good time. We're not here for a long time. All right, let's get to the meat of the podcast. Andy Pollan coming up in just a second. The NCAA has sent a letter to, to the California legislature that says, Oh, really? Basically, California State Assembly is scheduled to hold a hearing and to vote on a bill called SB 206, the College Athletics Fair Pay to Play Act. Essentially, what it says is that college athletes should have their entire rights to their name, image, and likeness to sell, barter, or capitalize on as they see fit. These are so-called nil rights, name, image, likeness rights. And it's been part of the debate about our college athletes getting a raw deal. You know my stance on this by now, but I'll reiterate it in nutshell form. Of course not. They're getting the best fucking deal in the world. Free education, room and board, the best coaching, a platform upon which to impress their skills to future million-dollar employers named the NFL and the NBA – And all kinds of benefits that go well beyond that. It's a deal so good that the colleges, the Division I colleges, are not running out at all of people willing to take that deal, who are hungry for that deal, who are thirsty for that deal. It's a big, big thing for many kids to get a full ride to a D1 school. But there are a few players, a few, and I mean we're talking about a handful, who have grown to be enough of a star that they, in theory, could capitalize on their name, image, or likeness. Zion Williamson was one last year. I would say Tua Tungavailoa is another at Alabama. I would say that uh, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson is a third. And after that, you really start to dwindle. But that's beside the point. Let's put that aside for a second. Sally Jenkins today in the Washington Post writes, oh God, she writes such... She writes very well, but also it's not based in reality or common sense or even nuance, for that matter. She writes as if Mark Emmert, the head of the NCAA, is some evil warlock intent on keeping these kids enslaved. It's pretty ridiculous. Basically, Emmert and the NCAA wrote a letter to California saying, look, if you go through with this, we're not sure we can hold championships, national championships in your state, because suddenly the rules on players getting paid is going to be different in one state versus everyone else. And that's going to create a drastically, a drastic competitive disadvantage for everybody else. See, the reason that college athletic college players, or the reason that there's rules on what college athletes can and cannot be paid or earn is because you have to have a competitive ecosystem. Once you let kids either get paid by the schools or boosters or market their name and likeness, you're going to create, you're going to basically professionalize college sports. And I'm telling you, Sally Jenkins and Jay Billis, they will ruin college sports if they get their way on this. But that's another argument for another day. Anyway, she writes, here's more of Emmert's letter, which has the benign quality of a talcum of the talcum Emmert uses to powder his wig until you smell the arsenic laced in it. Oh, God. Emmert says, nonetheless, when contrasted with current NCAA rules, the drafted bill threatens to alter materially the principles of intercollegiate athletics. That's his stance. Writes Sally, actually, the only thing the bill would materially alter is the reach of Lord Emmert's Power and the bottom line profits of those ducal estates, Emmert presides over the turreted athletic departments that purloin and sell the images of athletes like sheaves of wheat. Clemson will sell stacks of number 16 jerseys, but quarterback Trevor Lawrence won't see a dime. It does get a scholarship, does get coaching, does get training, does get room and po- ah, never mind. Clemson, uh. Uh, You want a T-shirt that shows Tua Tonga-Vailoa and Alabama Crimson characteristically pointing to the sky? You can get one for $20. Also a sticker and a cup of coffee with his image. Or a coffee cup. He'll likely never be paid for any of it unless he moves to California. Oh, God, for fuck's sake. Listen, here's how it works. Sally's smart enough to know this, but obviously she doesn't want to get into the nuance, nuance of it. College athletics makes a lot of money based on television revenue, and also on stadium revenue. Not every program, though, makes money. In fact, many football programs lose money. So, wait a minute, they lose money? Yes, they lose money. You don't know this? Many D1 football programs are complete pigs when it comes to gobbling up resources and do not turn a profit. Well, why do they do them then? Well, prestige, tradition, ancillary benefits, you name it. Okay, let's just take the schools that are profitable, at least in football. Let's start with that. The schools that are profitable in football, where does that money go? Well, it doesn't. more money doesn't go to Emmert because of how much money each of the schools makes. He works for the NCAA itself, which is the organizing body. Now, she's, he's paid a lot of money, and you can argue whether or not he is paid appropriately for what is, in essence, a CEO of a large business. That's another separate discussion, but... He's not making more money by keeping it out of the hands of Zion Williamson. What happens is the schools that make money, the, the football programs, it gets kicked into their general athletic department fund, and then that money, along with the basketball programs, of which most are profitable, most men's D1 programs are profitable. It's a lot cheaper to run a basketball program. There's obviously a ton fewer players between 90 versus 12 or 15, depending on the size of the hoop roster. And of course, travel expenses, equipment, coaches, stadium, I mean, it all adds up quickly in football. So the money that is made by the college men's programs also get dumped into the athletic department budget. And then the money goes somewhere. Where does it go? Here's where the money is going. Number one, it is going, and this is not in order of the pie, I don't know how much is going to each entity, but it's going basically three places. One, the coaches are getting paid a lot of money. There's no disputing that. Coaches are getting paid a fortune because a coach that can win without keeping your program or putting your program on probation is worth a lot of money, and they're hard to find. So they're chasing coaches with this money, and that includes, obviously, football, and it includes assistant coaches in football. Their salaries have gone up quite a bit. The other place it's going is into facilities, weight rooms, meeting rooms, study rooms, um, training facilities, meet all this stuff, Lazy Rivers. They're building, building, building in football because these are recruiting tools that are perfectly legal. Hey, come check out our Lazy River. Ooh, look at our locker room. Isn't this sweet? Wouldn't you like to play here, Junior? The third place all that money is going, and Sally knows this, it's going to pay for the programs that lose money hand over fist. Notably, in almost every university, women's basketball. That's where the money goes. So the schools that do make a profit, that's where the money is going. You can argue Everett makes too much money. You can argue that Nick Saban makes too much money. Those are separate arguments. But what's going to happen if you allow certain states to tell players, yeah, you can make money off your name, image, and likeness, and that doesn't render you ineligible as an amateur athlete, then you're going to have a handful of supposedly marketable players in college basketball and football that are making maybe upwards of $100,000 a year. And you say, well, what's so wrong about that? Well, because the name, image, and likeness of most of these kids is zero. Nobody knows who the fuck they are. And if you say that you do, you're lying. Oh, I know the wide receiver for Oregon. Great. There's no money in his name. There's money in a handful of players, the players that basically Sally mentioned. She can't go much deeper. I can't go much deeper. You can't go much deeper than Tua, Trevor, and a few other guys. Their value is zero. And the only reason that Tua has value with his nil rights, and same thing for these other guys, is because they play at universities, Clemson, Alabama, that are proven winners because of their coaches and because they play in leagues and conferences and they're on TV and the TV deals negotiated that bring all this money onto campus and into athletic departments. I can assure you, none of those deals are negotiated with, Hey, we got this kid, Trevor Lawrence. He's on our radar and he'll be here in about two years. You're going to really like this guy. You should pay us a lot of money because you're going to want to see him. Trevor Lawrence is just the flavor of the moment. Same thing for Tua. There's more of him and more of him coming down the line. It's almost like these kids are interns. And then there's a the whole fact that they get all these benefits to begin with. I mean, actual cash equivalent benefits. I mean, maybe not. They, they do get cash to help them defray the cost of going to school. But you're talking about an annual tuition that sometimes exceeds fifty, dollars even $60,000 if you were to have to buy it on your own. It is the greatest deal going. It is why kids will break down in tears, why their moms will break down in tears. Go ahead, search up the videos on YouTube of kids getting a full ride to college. This is not worth, oh, three guys I can name aren't going to get a car deal while in college for upending the whole system. Because what's going to happen after this is, oh, school. let's say UCLA goes, oh, all right, name, image and likeness, great. We just signed this, uh, safety who nobody knows, but he's the number one safety in the country to beef up our defense. And guess what? He's got an endorsement deal with, uh, Malibu Honda. Why? Yes, he does. Everybody loves John Smith. Our new starting safety out of Woodlake high school. Oh yeah. You don't know John Smith. Oh, he's the best. Tell you people can't get enough John Smith jerseys. What are you going to do? He's got an endorsement deal. Hey, how'd that endorsement deal come about? Oh, never, never mind. And then you do a little bit of digging and you go, oh, Malibu Honda is owned by a big UCLA alumni and he is a big booster and contributes six figures annually to the school. So somebody must have went and tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, we got this safety we really want to bring in here. But guess what? Bama's coming after him. Michigan's coming after him. What could you do to get him here? I know. Endorsement deal. Everybody loves John Smith, our new safety. Let's get him signed up. We'll bring him down for an autograph signing. And John Smith, the safety nobody knows about, will sit in the showroom. He'll sign six autographs for people wandering in going, who's this guy? I'm just here to see, I'm here to drive a Civic. Oh, you play for UCLA. Great. Never heard of you. Thanks for the autograph. Careful, Sally. Careful, Jay Billis. If you get what you really want, you could see the end of college athletics as we know it. Time now for Andy Polin. Hello. Hello, Andy Polin. Fresh back from a family vacation that I'm sure has some interesting tales whenever the extended Poland clan gets together.
2: <laughs> yes, we had a big gathering in Portland, Oregon over a four-day period. Uh, this, is
1: a, it, this is a new venue for you guys, is it not? You know, actually, we
2: went there 10 years ago. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, as, as I've told you, that my grandfather was one of eight children, and of those eight, uh, the offspring is over 200. And every two years, we have a family reunion, and it moves from place to place, and um, it centers mostly around where the family is, which is Chicago, Washington, and Philadelphia, though uh, Abe's brother, about 50 years ago, moved out to Portland and established base there, and uh, so we've been there twice in the last 17 years since we started doing this.
1: For those that don't know, Andy Poland's uncle, no, cousin, cousin Abe... (laughs) I get that wrong all the time. Just like I mix up Jeremy and Justin. Justin's your son. Jeremy no. is Scott Lynn's son. No.
2: Jeremy is my son. Oh, fuck. Justin is Scott okay. Lynn's
1: son. God Goddamn. My, my, my old age is going to be a real bitch, and that's coming quicker than I know it. Anyway, yeah, I mix that up all the time. Abe is Andy's cousin. And yes, yes, he used to own the Washington Wizards, actually the Bullets, and then he owned Mm -hmm. the Washington Capitals, yet Andy never walked around with a silver spoon in his mouth. In fact, I thought you got very little extended family benefits from your cousin owning the team.
2: Uh, early on, uh, I tried to get the play-by-play job, but it went to Charlie Slow. So I can't feel bad about that. He did a very good job. And uh, you know, late in his life, he uh, he joked to me that maybe I was the more famous Poland in a D.C. I don't think that was the case, but uh, we we got along pretty well towards the end.
1: Yeah, you did all right, even without uh, the family boost. So so the, so, what was the notable thing from the Poland family get together?
2: Well, I mean, it, it's interesting to, to go to Portland. Have you ever been there? Never. Okay. it's it's all about hiking and biking it's a really good biking city you can ride around the Willamette River and uh, there's a lot of trails that you can go on and see some great waterfalls but the dominant industries seem to be donuts and beer uh, voodoo and donuts. marijuana well marijuana now too yeah that it's it's legal there but uh, if, if you ever go there you know you'll you have to make a stop at the famous voodoo donuts but donuts. they also have yeah, competitors like Star Donuts, and then they have various breweries, and I just thought it was kind of ironic that a city that's so healthful is uh, also into donuts and beer.
1: <laughs> well, you know, if you're into weed, uh, you're into chilling out and then eating some snacks and maybe having a cold beer to wash it all down. Sounds like the kind of town that Homer Simpson would love.
2: Yes, I think so. I think that would be a, a good place. I liked it. I mean, I like it a lot. It's it's just uh, too far west. and uh,
1: Rains a yeah. lot. You gotta yeah. like the woods, and you gotta tolerate the hard left politics of oh, Portland, yeah. Oregon. Oh, and yeah, some people like do love that; some people absolutely mm-hmm. love it, but it's uh, it, it can be a bit much for some. Are you surprised that an NBA franchise has landed there and stuck? It is easily one of the most obscure, smallish markets to house a professional sports team, with no other pro teams in the area.
2: Well, I I lived in San Antonio for 3 years as you know and I would say that's similar. similar. Yeah. Right. Uh, although, you know, Texas is much more into football and the Cowboys would probably be the second team there, even though they don't have a football team, right. but you know, a city that size can center around the NBA team. And if the NBA team is good as the Spurs have been, and Portland has been pretty good over the years, um, it, it, it can work. They're also into soccer. There's a soccer team,
1: out big there, time. Timbers Yeah,
2: that, that's really big. Yeah. So well, it's interesting that.
1: that they would be into basketball because it doesn't seem to fit maybe the, uh, the ideal of, a hippie logging community, donuts and beer and weed, you know, <laughs> the NBA being urban and young and hip. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's a good fit. They love the shit out of their blazers though. And it goes all the way back to the Walton days.
2: Yeah. And look who, who was into weed and, and no Walton. Uh, left politics. <laughs> <Walton>. <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So while you were gone or maybe you caught this once you landed, uh, apparently, Joey Theismann, Joey Sunshine, as I call him, because his outlook on the Skins in August is always sunny in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. has come out with a preemptive strike, Andy, to say he doesn't think Dwayne Haskins, our rookie from Ohio State, should play at all this year.
2: Yeah, let me give you the backstory on that. I was out, that's my show, but Nick Ashew was sitting in for me. And he and Tom, I guess, were discussing the Alex Smith leg injury situation and the interview he'd given to Angie Goff on her podcast. It's yes. amazing. Alex Smith says these days, uh,
1: I know <laughs> Alex Smith says that he, his goal is to play again, but first he has to relearn how to run. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. He's, he,
2: he's got this eternal an external fixator on his leg, which has been there since November. And he says, he's got like another six weeks to go. Um, God bless him, uh, Gesundheit, but you know, look, uh, <laughs> he's 35 years old. If, if he can walk without pain for the rest of his life, I think he needs to call that a win.
1: Right. Um, I, I think he's using it, Andy, as sort of a beacon in the distance that he knows he's not going to reach, but it propels him forward. It motivates him. Not unlike Ryan Shazier, who has made an incredible comeback from his paralysis, to yeah. be able to dance at his wedding, because he keeps saying, "I want to play football again," and everyone's like, "You're fucking crazy." No, yeah, yeah, yeah. he won't okay. be
2: cleared. No, so, so that. anyway, so, so so so
1: Joey T is on with Lovey and your boy Nikki Ashu, and he yeah, says, he just called in.
2: He just, I mean, they didn't book him. What? He, Theism- yeah, Theisman does this at, at WJFK fairly often, where he'll be listening. And if he likes what they're talking about, he'll call the hotline and he'll say, I think I can add something to that. And uh, <laughs> on the subject of broken legs, I mean, who, who knows more about that than Theismann? The so uh, I gather when he called in to talk about Alex Smith, they expanded it out to Dwayne Haskins, and that's when he dropped the, it'd be better if he doesn't play at all this year. All
1: right. So I ask you this as a longtime observer in this town of quarterback controversies, August battles. I like Billy. I like Sonny bumper stickers. Was it right for Theisman to weigh in this early with such an opinion?
2: Well, I believe he's hundred percent right,
1: but the question is. No, has- no. Was it right of him as a redskin of stature mm-hmm. to put his thoughts into this? I don't think it's helpful, Andy. I I don't I didn't think it was appropriate for him to say that
2: why he's a former quarterback why would why shouldn't two reasons
1: two reasons one because he's not just some guy he's not joe on line four from Bowie (laughs) his his words carry some weight and so i don't want him weighing in on this and number two he hasn't played a snap in the preseason yet why the fuck would he say right now oh he shouldn't play at all this year let's see how the kid looks in august why the well, rush? Why does why is Joe Theismann, who bristled at the notion of him taking his number seven before finally relenting, why is he so quick to say he shouldn't play at all?
2: I, I would disagree that he bristled. I thought he handled that
1: pretty well. Um, you know, I, all right, maybe I, bristling I, is a bit much. Yeah, he wasn't I, I wild about it, though. He said, well, "I'll have to have a talk with him first.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, you know, look, th- this. I, I think he looked at Danny Werfel and said. Uh-uh. But he looks at Haskins and says, "Oh, okay." And I think you know, look. Werfel
1: won the Heisman Trophy.
2: Yeah, great. He'd already proven himself to be an NFL bust by the time he got here. Okay.
1: So, but he at least played in the NFL. Uh,
2: yeah. Okay. I it mean, was, Haskins
1: is no more of a sure thing than Danny fucking Werfel. Let's be honest. I don't give a shit about um, uh, Andy. Who cares where he was drafted?
2: No, he I, think could... it's, I, I think it's arm strength. Werfel, that that oh, was man. the reason that that he couldn't play in the NFL, was arm strength. Uh, Warfel, Haskins has
1: it. Werfel was still drafted where by the Saints? Fourth uh, round? I can look it up. Third or talking. fourth
2: round, something like that. Uh, yeah, look, that either, sounds right.
1: Either way, here's the thing. What if Haskins looks great in August?
2: Then it's August. I mean, how many guys have we seen look great in August? And when the season starts... Okay. Defense is planned for them, and you know, I mean, and and how many games is he going to start? Is he going to start the all-important third preseason game, or is he going to be playing against guys who won't be in the NFL in the first and second
1: half? It is arguable so, that Baker Mayfield was needlessly benched for the first seven games of the Brown season by Ding Dong yeah. Hugh Jackson.
2: Okay, but you could so, also say you could also say that. Aaron Rodgers has had the career he's had in part because he got to sit and watch for three years.
1: You could say that. However, I don't think there's any uh, definable proof that sitting is better than playing and being thrown into the fire. I think it's all anecdotal and it's fear-based on, oh my God, what if if he's overwhelmed? That's the way people think. We don't know that. We We don't don't know
2: that. And maybe the comp is Mitch Trubisky, who played a similar number of games in college that Haskins did and has developed into a a really good quarterback. He started right away, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And he took his lumps. I mean, realize Peyton Manning threw 28 interceptions his rookie year. Uh, Troy Aikman,
1: similar, got killed. Yeah.
2: Oh, Troy Aikman was on a horrible team. I mean, he shouldn't have, that's one where they shouldn't have played him. But,
1: well, he uh, lived.
2: yeah, he lived and he had a whole thing. <laughs>
1: maybe, it, maybe it toughened him up. So why Thanks. so okay, so we're back to my original square. Who's Joey T to come out in June and say, no, no, we're not gonna play him this year? It's crazy. I think. He shouldn't say I that. Think, and I think I he's think wrong. Is, I think there's a guarantee, Andy, that Haskins will play this year at some point. I will oh, bet, I, agree. I will bet ten thousand dollars on that.
2: Oh, I agree. And I think I think it's still very much in play. He starts the opener. Doesn't mean it's right. But, but you I think, think but you
1: you don't want it, you want him to sit.
2: Uh, no, I mean, okay. look, where are they going this year? Are they go- are they going to
1: the playoffs with Haskins? No, no, it's no. a bad team. But that right, so, that has that no bearing on my decision on whether to play him.
2: Well, I if mean, he looks I good, he
1: looks- if he looks competent, and you think he's not going to get killed, put him out there. for the For the same reason, Andy, that you just used to not play him, put him out there. Where are we going? No. Yeah. Where are we going? Like, it doesn't matter. So what if he goes 0-5 out of the gate with this opening salvo of games we've got? Who cares? Well, Theismann
2: used the Joey Harrington comparison, and I don't know if they're the same guy.
1: That's cherry-picking, though. He's ignoring other examples like you just made about Trubisky, and uh, who else was it in recent terms that started right away, and they're like, okay.
2: Russell Wilson, but that, Ah. that was with a great defense. But true. Yeah, look, I, I I think I think given the way this team is about marketing and the need to sell tickets, I, I would not be surprised if he starts the opener, no matter how he looks in the preseason.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's move on to basketball. Uh, while you were gone, we still have not hired a GM for the <laughs> basketball team. God. How no, do you like this? Is... How do you like slow walk, Teddy? After he lectured all of us in that podcast interview with Chris Miller by saying it would be irresponsible to our shareholders to rush into hiring somebody in a two-hour meeting. Hey, it's been two-plus months. Right.
2: Is there there any doubt that they went after Messiah Jury?
1: And didn't get him?
2: Yeah, didn't get him. And I think they're very concerned about tampering charges. Because if, if you didn't go after him, why would you address it? Why would Ted say? Oh, and by the way, those rumors about us pursuing Majiri, not true. I think he's worried about a hefty fine. I mean, I'm talking about five hundred thousand dollar fine. Really? That, oh yeah. Wow. I think that that was a concern. I think they were waiting on that, and when it be and so you know, if so in other
1: words, if as soon as Majiri uh, wins the title and it appears he's not coming here. You don't want to instantly then hire somebody or promote Tommy Shepard, who's likely going to get it, because then it looks too easier to connect the dots. This way, this way, you sort of mill around like you whistle there, you get your (laughs) legs crossed, and then you wait a while, and then you then you officially name him because Shepard's going to pull all the strings in free agency, right? Just like you did the draft. so
2: what's what's the point? You bring in a GM and all of his work is done plus you've saddled him with the John Wall contract for the next 4 years.
1: And you're so, and your boy your boy Lovey who throws back at Ted his transparency mandate from a blog post years ago, transparent <laughs> Ted. Transparent Ted is misdirection Ted. He is full of it sometimes, man oh man. It's too uh, bad. It's too bad because I'd like a good basketball team in town. It's going to take a while though to burn off this wall situation. Right, you've
2: got one star who, at some point, you're going to have to deal. I mean, you just can't. You just can't say, "Well, you know, we have him for two more years, and we're going to build around him." It's going to take more than two years to get players around him, and then he's going to leave.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, what do you make of the NBA saying they're going to do? A, they're going to go away from go away from the word "owner" and instead use "governor," all based on something said by LeBron James. On his barber barbershop show with yeah. Draymond Green. Yeah,
2: well, I guess I guess when LeBron becomes an owner, or excuse me, a governor, governor. Maybe, he'll des- <laughs> <laughs> maybe he'll decide which one he likes better. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's fine. If that's the title, fine. But everybody knows it's an owner. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> is it that big of a deal?
1: Here's why, it, here's why I think it's a big deal. And by the way, I'm not alone there. I heard, uh, heard Freddie Coleman on ESPN Radio last night, who happens to be black, right. Pull up, play a soundbite from Steven Jackson, former NBA player who happens to be black, and both of them agree that this is absolutely ridiculous. Sure. Steven Jackson sure. saying, look, I want minorities and people of all colors to aspire to be an owner, Agreed. whether it's of an NBA team or a bakery or whatever. So right. to to go away from this word because somebody makes the tortured connection to slave owner is ridiculous. He says,
2: "Has anybody talked to Bob Johnson, who owned the uh, Charlotte Bobcats?"
1: How about Michael Jordan, the current owner?
2: Yeah, well, or Jordan excuse me, dances
1: ar- governor.
2: It, it, Jordan always dances around those things, you know. Jordan, Jordan, Republicans buy shoes. Jordan, right. uh, he may he may dance, but Bob Johnson. Who created you know Black Entertainment Network right, and has right. been associated yeah. with African American causes? He would be an interesting one to talk to about this because I, I agree with I agree that they should aspire to be an owner. If you are an owner, you have certain rights and privileges. And to me, governor suggests like general manager, president, the team. Right. It doesn't suggest all that you've achieved by being able to buy a team.
1: It just, to me, like, I know the sentiment that you said, which is what's the big deal. The big deal is that this is stupid. And stupid usually doesn't stick to itself. Stupid spreads, and then you got to fight stupid on other fronts. And this is not healthy, I think, from a civic standpoint, to demonize certain mere words Mm -hmm. because of a, a guy who's got a high school degree on his TV show.
2: Yeah, well, you know, Warner Wolf removed the word plantation from his gated community because he thought it That's was... <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and I forgot about it turned, that. <laughs> and that was the name of the town, Plantation Florida. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Whatever happened to that? Did that case get dismissed or handled or something like that?
2: I don't know. I, I know he was arrested. I don't know if he's gonna have his day in court. He lost the age discrimination suit that he had against IMUS.
1: Oh, so, he did. Uh,
2: Oh, yeah, he's not, a, he's not on a hot streak.
1: <laughs> angry, like an old man returning Ooh. soup. <laughs> yeah. The, the ocean was angry that day, like an old man returning soup. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. All right, let's see. Moving on to the next topic. Um, Mickey Calloway with the Mets. What's old is new again. This many years after Bob Clapish tangled with Bobby Bonilla, We have another incident of a beat writer getting into it with a manager and a player over something that was seemingly pretty innocent.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's Bronx tension or not Bronx, but uh, Queens tension, tabloid tension,
1: sports talk tension, hearing it Mm -hmm. every day, all day. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It does. It doesn't work. You know, who was a a victim of that? Uh, He followed Davey Johnson, Davey Johnson managed the Mets to the world series. And then eventually things petered out by the late eighties and Bud Harrelson took over Bud Harrelson, a beloved Met coach on Davey Johnson's staff took over. In the beginning, everything was fine. They, he loved, you know, the media. The media loved him. And then they started losing, and he tightened up. And he wouldn't do the questions that Howie Rose wanted to ask him in the pregame show. He wanted his own questions submitted. And then he became difficult to deal with in the media. And then he he would send his. Pitching coach out to make pitching changes because he was afraid of getting booed by the fans. I mean, that, that atmosphere can eat you up if you're not tough-skinned. And apparently, Mickey Callaway is not the man for the job.
1: Yeah. How about the Mets hiring an 82-year-old pitching coach? <laughs>
2: yeah, Phil Regan. Phil Regan, former
1: know. Oriole manager. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I mean, Jack McKeon was was 80 when he took over the Florida Marlins and won the World Series. 80 so, even.
1: Okay. At, yeah, when uh, when you're eighty in twenty years, 20, uh, 19, 19 years, twenty years, yeah. How old are you, Andy? You're ten years older than me. You're sixty-one, right?
2: I will be shortly.
1: Yes. <laughs> don't be coy about it. <laughs> yes. I don't like to advertise that. Um, you you at eighty, you're going to be active and doing stuff. I guarantee it. Yeah. Your your dad right yeah. now is still out and about and doing stuff. 90. How old is he? Ninety. Yeah. Ninety. Yeah. Fantastic. fantastic. Uh, speaking yeah. of the New York media and teams, you saw where Jimmy Dolan got fined 50 grand yeah. for barring yeah. a New York Daily News reporter from the draft post-game presser.
2: Yeah, what a jackass. Well, of course, 50 grand is not a big deal to him. But, you know, who, who, who thought this was a good idea? Who, who told him, oh, yeah, you can do this?
1: I don't think he thinks in terms of good idea, bad idea. He just does things impulsively based on yeah. pettiness and feuds and rivalries.
2: I guess, yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's ridiculous. But you know, that's his his. I guess he's reached the point where he just doesn't care because didn't he cut off W F A N for a while and maybe still because Maggie Gray yeah. yeah, railed they had, against him had yeah. a
1: feud going on on that front. You're just not yeah. going to win in the end. And and if they don't get Durant this summer, if they don't get anybody the Knicks this summer, think about that, Andy.
2: Yeah, although they they have kind of a built in crowd i mean they they've been bad for a long time remember that
1: and so they it's still new york they have multiple max slots open and waiting this was going to be the summer of the knicks they were supposed to get maybe durant and kyrie they may get yeah. neither that right. that right. will be really really bad when are you gonna It'll have the bad. next when are you gonna have the next you know generation of available purchasable players to come to the knicks
2: who knows? They, I mean, they're bad. They have a bad owner. I mean, does, oh, worst that's, owner, that's,
1: terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, governor. They have the worst governor. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> governor, the worst. Let's unelect the governor. If only we could vote in and out our governors of our franchises. How great well, would
2: that be? Then I think most Redskin fans would want to name Dan Snyder governor and oh. vote him out. But
1: if but, Dan you know, these- Snyder ran against generic candidate B. As owner of the Redskins, what yeah. percentage of the vote would he pull?
2: Not not much. I mean, there'd it, be some who would say you know single digits, uh, right? Well, he, there'd be some who would say you know the fear of the unknown, like the devil you know is is the, is the one that you don't know. But reality is is that yeah, he would be he would be voted out. But also these people who call in and say, oh, Dan Snyder needs to sell the team. He's not going to sell the team. I know it's not going to happen.
1: I believe if Dan Snyder had to run for election to stay as owner or governor of the Redskins. And if he, if he ran against, let's say, uh, Bubbles the orangutan from the D.C. Zoo, he'd lose 91 to 9. He would not even carry 10% of the vote. But I may be wrong about that, so who knows. Um, paid attendance versus actual. I had an email, a question about this from a listener. Uh, and we talked about it, me and Mr. X, the other day. And that is, when did baseball go away from announcing actual attendance versus paid?
2: I don't know, but there was, I think a time where the leagues differed. Like one league would do it, paid attendance. One would do actual attendance. Yes. Remember, remember uh, baseball used to have commissioners. Remember that? Right.
1: Uh, Chub, wasn't Chubb Feeney, Chub the Feeney NL commissioner. And,
2: uh, yeah. Forget the other guy, but they were, you know, like lieutenants <laughs> yes. to the commissioner, but they were commissioners of the league. And I think they differed on how that was done. And I can't tell you which league had what or when it changed, but I think that that was the way it used to be
1: done. Here's the email from somebody did sent me this. He found out that before the cancellation of the 94 World Series, the National League announced attendance based on actual turnstile counts. The American League, which for m- most of our lives was the inferior junior league, not as popular as the NL, would announce ticket sales as attendance because it made them look better. Right, right. But right. at some point uh, I believe uh in 92 uh MLB spokesman Rich Levin said that they count uh baseball attendance as tickets sold not tickets used because of revenue sharing.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, because of uh concessions became a bigger deal and parking and all that. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: But what it well, but that's but you don't get concessions if it's not butts in the seats.
2: I would right, like to saying,
1: I would like sh- yeah. Go if you're ahead. sharing
2: revenue, it, it means more if there are more people in there to buy food and park. That's right. way I would
1: okay. Right. But I guess the point is that if you're just counting if you're announcing only tickets sold, mm-hmm. that's not giving you a good picture of who actually goes to the games. Gotcha. Like I would like to know the hard count, the turnstile count every game and every team. It'd be well, interesting to track. They won't remember, tell us that.
2: I remember being at Redskin game in the eighties. And hearing uh no shows announced as three.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I remember going to Redskin games at FedEx uh the last couple of years in which they were getting blown out and it was as sparse as you can imagine.
2: Yeah, and they would announce attendance of like seventy five thousand or
1: the sellouts. Another sellout, Redskin fans. It was ridiculous. Just yeah. ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Okay, a couple more here, real quick. Sports books at Wrigley Field. Did you see this story
2: yeah. yeah I did they're talking about kiosks
1: possibly kiosks possibly a full-blown book inside the stadium I think this is one of the most shameless ridiculous things ever how much money is enough money this this is outrageous and I'm pro gambling I'm pro gambling why are you doing this Cubs come on revenue
2: that's that's what it's that's everybody's you know they have ownership they have people who are you know I mean, they governor too yeah, right. Well, I don't think baseball's done that yet. Um, but, yeah, they, that's everybody's looking for the next revenue stream. And gambling, they seem to think, you know, like my buddy Tom Levero calls uh, Ted, Ted, Ted Leonsis Arnold Rothstein. That's all he's <laughs> doing. Is, is,
1: oh, yeah, Ted's fully on board with this as well. Yeah. yeah and and I yeah. think as I've told you, or we've talked about, they will let you gamble. They will not let you win. Yeah. That once you show a pattern of being what they consider a sharp or Mm -hmm. somebody who does it more than just casually, once you develop a winning profile in their computer system, because that's how it's all done now, thanks to your phone and everything else, they're going to dial down your betting limits, if not kick you out altogether, and it's perfectly legal.
2: If if you're going to bet big, though, would you do it through something like that? Wouldn't you do it? in an offshore account or Andy,
1: it's not the point. The point is Ted is out there running his mouth about, and the smart better will be able to use the analytics to make wise uh, betting choices.
2: No, there are no wise betting choices, Ted. That's why they have big hotels in Vegas. The house wins. That's the way it works. Right,
1: but what Ted won't tell you, and it's the truth, They don't take sharp bettors and they will define what a sharp is on their own algorithm and they will kick you out and there's nothing you can do about it. Ted won't tell you that they'll let you bet. They will not let you win for any extended period of time. Maybe you get lucky Mm -hmm. once or twice. Otherwise, though, get out. We want the suckers. Okay. Do
2: do you think, though, there's any chance in 10 years we'll look back and say, remember when sports went all in on gambling and how did that work out? Or do you think it'll be like a major part of the industry?
1: I think it'll still be a major part of the industry, but I think the revenues will be severely underwhelming for the estimates that they think. I think it's yeah, going I think yeah, it's gonna be part I, of the landscape, but it's gonna be an underwhelming part of the landscape. And there's gonna be, I think, a lot of companies that go belly up because they overestimate just, you know, how much it was gonna bring in.
2: Yeah. I think there'll be an initial bump, people interested. But then when they realized, you know, I went to a game and I dropped 200 bucks and, you know, it just didn't have as much fun as I thought I was going to do. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the same kind of impact. All right.
1: And then finally, Sean McVay engaged. Yeah. So, have you seen her? Oh, she's unbelievable. <laughs> she yeah. is. She is a hundred out of 10. She is as perfect a woman f- looks wise as possible, but I worry, Andy, that. Maybe they're not soulmates. That this marriage may not make it till death do they part, when perhaps Sean McVeigh no longer looks like he does now, a trim, young, testosterone-filled football savant, but looks more like, I don't know, Gil Brandt hunched over with a cane at Super Bowl week. Will she still love him at that time?
2: Well, you know, he's he's gonna make a lot of money coaching football, that's for sure. He already makes a lot. Um I've seen who is it real sports did a feature on him and showed the place that they're living now. So you can just imagine as he becomes more and more successful, where else he might live. You know, in uh, fairness,
1: according to a story I saw that she and Sean were dating when he was a tight ends coach here in DC, they lived in an apartment or a condo in Reston. So she's not not a Johnny come lately. She, she went to George Mason.
2: I, yeah, I don't. I don't say she's a gold digger. I'm just saying that she's realized that she's tapped into somebody who's going to be very, very successful, and she's going to have a very good life. Uh, it would seem.
1: But you know what, though, I bet you. I bet you McVeigh is a lousy date because he's so into football. That's all. that he, Like she better love football as much as he does, because I don't see him putting down the playbook for any extended period of time.
2: Yeah. Probably so, but but maybe she's got her own life. Maybe she wants, oh you know, maybe they're, they're limited time together. They make it count, and she does her thing. I don't know.
1: All right, Andy. With that, well, that will call it a wrap today. Thank you, as always, for joining me, and we will talk to you uh, next week. Very good, Zabe. Take care. We'll end on this. The headline says it all, how Instagram ruined the great outdoors. Social media influencers have helped turn public lands into tourist-infested swamps, and one cantankerous man is fighting back. This story appears in The New Republic, uh, April 18th of this year, 2019. He writes about how there was once a swimming hole in a stream-fed gorge on the public lands of the Catskill Mountains that was gloriously free of Homo sapiens. You could go there in the height of summer and see no one, and have the deep blue pools all to yourself. Then came Instagram. I won't tell you, writes Ketchum, the name of the gorge, or provide a link to the pictures, as that would only worsen the invasion of drunken, littering, caterwauling people in what was once a redoubt of solitude and quiet. Instagram users who love the outdoors have a habit of ruining the wild places they touch, a perverse irony that seems lost on them. Oh, it's totally lost on them. They don't care. It's not about being in... The wild, it's not about nature, it's not about solitude, it's about, I need a picture of this for my gram. If you were to ban phones, I talked about this, how Machu Picchu is being overrun with tourists because it's such a popular Instagram spot, and I said, if you were to confiscate all electronics, including regular cameras, just say, yeah, you can come to Machu Picchu, you can't take any pictures. That stream of people would absolutely, it would drop off to a trickle. And it makes you think, well, why am I going here? Am I going here to see this? Or am I going here just to get a picture to put on my Instagram or my other social media account? Now look, I'm a big photog nerd and it would hurt me if I went to some exotic place and I couldn't take a picture. Even if it's not a picture of me, just a splendid picture of the lost city of Machu Picchu. But a lot of these people just go because it's got to be me, 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 me. And that's ruining a lot of these spots that were once almost unknown and unfound, and, and you had to hear about it secondhand. So the guy that uh, he writes about, this Ketchum guy, is somebody who has a Instagram account, of course, under the heading of Public Lands Hate You, or P-L-H-Y for short. The anonymous 31-year-old Idaho man behind the account, who doesn't want his name published for fear that the Instagram as he sabotages will come after him personally. Yeah, goddamn right about that. Warns on his page, quote, if you think this world and our public lands are here for you to promote yourself, your advertisers, your promoters, your photographer, anything with you in it, you're wrong. Very, very wrong. <laughs> I've yet to read further down the article to see what he does to quote-unquote sabotage the Instagram horde, but I'm sure it's something rather devious and delicious. Either way, I don't know. I don't know what the happy medium is because on the one hand, if there is a nice nature spot that you want to go to and see and you're going to be respectful and polite and not piss in the pools and not leave your beer cans behind and take one instagram photo or one selfie that you're going to share with friends and just say oh my god look at this place i went to in the catskills it was amazing that's okay but it's the hordes that are ruining it the internet's ruining it mark zuckerberg is ruining it twitter is ruining it (sighs) social media is ruining everything except for your connection to me that's fantastic follow me on twitter at Zabe, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. Email me, zabe at yahoo.com for feedback, suggestions, and more. Download the ZabeCast app. It is absolutely free, gluten-free, and really works well to consolidate all of the episodes of this program. It's also the only way you can get the paid Friday version of the ZabeCast. I apologize, we can't at this time unlock it for your other distribution channels like iTunes. It's because of how it gets billed and how it gets paywalled, and I'm very sorry for that, but it, you know what can I do? There are limits. Anyhow, thank you for listening. Tell a couple friends. Have yourself a great Wednesday. Be respectful of the environment, and we will
0: see you next time. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022.